Hello and welcome. It's Friday, the 17th of April, 2020, and we're back with a really fantastic episode 148. I'll tell you why in just a moment. Uh, But first, just a friendly reminder, if you're a fan of this podcast, please don't forget to leave me five stars over on Apple Podcasts. And coming up on May 7th, we're hosting a fantastic webinar on the impact of the autonomous mobility industry on all things construction, including and especially right now during the time of COVID, but of course, also in the life after COVID, which yes, we will have life after COVID. Um, just head on over to our website over at hoagandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to learn more, or you can also head on over to Eventbrite to register and get your tickets. So today I am joined by not one, but two PhDs, the first of whom you've heard on this podcast in the past, Martin Adler. He's one of my founding partners over at Hogan Co. The other of whom is Nick Reed. He's a professor over at the University of Oxford. And uh, by the way, quick thing about Nick, he's done a fantastic TED Talk. Uh, Just go to YouTube, do a search for Nick Reed TED Talk and the promise of vehicle automation. Of course, you can also just head on over to our website, click about us and pull up Nick's profile. You can see a link to the video there. Anyway, so yeah, lots to dive into because yeah, there's been this really sort of overarching question on everyone's minds. You know, how is COVID going to affect this burgeoning AV industry with respect to all the necessary testing that has to go on before any sort of meaningful wide scale deployment um, and, and it's a valid question, right? Because if you can't really do much, it's sort of putting a lid on the whole industry before it even really has a proper chance to take off, get off the ground. So anyway, that's what we're going to dive into. So I hope you're sitting comfortably the next 40 minutes with Nick and Martin as we discuss all there is to know about COVID's impact on the autonomous vehicle industry. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get started. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Three, two, one and we're live uh so martin nick great of you both to be back here um to everybody listening martin's coming at us from actually where are you you're still in amsterdam right yeah or are you yeah okay cool (laughs) um and nick you're coming at us from uh i guess oxford right well near oxford i'm from wokingham actually which is uh, a little south of oxford but uh, yeah in the uk got it got it very cool. Either way, the point is not so much your geolocation, but your time zone. It is kicking off your Friday evening. So here we are. Um, great to have you both back here. And today, obviously, got to have a discussion a bit about COVID. Uh, in this particular instance, the impact it's been having on everything about AV testing, deployment, development generally, because that's sort of on everyone's minds. It's turned up a lot. I did a uh, short webinar a couple of days ago with another group up in Canada. And of course that question turned up there as well. So guys, what do you think? I mean, obviously uh, everything's being unhinged from the bottom up. What does it mean for the AV sector generally? 
Okay, I'll start, uh, Mark. It's Nick. So um, I think, as others have noted, we're in the midst of a of a experiment right now in terms of how much of the transport system has been shut down or reduced. And if uh, you know, the idealistic version of, of my view would have been that uh, AVs would have been the perfect um, vehicle to address some of the challenges that we faced as a result of that uh, lockdown. So you know, performing deliveries or performing uh, transportation services. Um, but we haven't really seen that. There's been, there's been some notable examples, but we haven't really seen that yet. What we have seen has been some um, amazing changes in air quality. I think we've we've all noticed that, and you know, amazing pictures from Delhi and Bogota and Bangkok about the the changes in you know a matter of weeks. The air you should look at LA. LA looks like Denver, right. Colorado now. It's astonishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, these changes that we've seen, um, I think, might open people's minds to the other kind of changes that need to happen in relation to climate breakdown. Um, and then, you know, automation can play a big role in that in, the, in terms of the shift to other forms of mobility, particularly electric um, mobility. So, yeah, I, I think that's the, the biggest change I've seen so far. Um, and yeah, hopefully it, it helps open the market to automation in the future. Yeah, I mean, this is good intro from Nick. I definitely agree with him on the positive side effects in terms of externality, but reduction from pollution. Probably we're also going to see that other externalities like traffic deaths are going to have really gone down. Maybe even crazily enough, a bigger reduction in traffic de deaths than what we in the end, you know, find. Yeah. Or like maybe in the similar magnitude than, than what we see like in, in deaths from the disease itself. I mean, there's lots and lots of uh, traffic deaths this year. Um, do, do you think people really care about this, though? I mean, here's what I mean, because I've shared this with a few friends, and I generally get a bit of sarcastic laughter, especially when I say such things as, hey, maybe this will really inspire, well, at least here in the U.S., where people are not so inspired to follow what other countries are doing, you know, banning internal combustion vehicles, sales, and ah. imports by 2025, 2030. Like, is this really going to kind of show people the light as it were? Do I think? don't know. I don't know how many people look in the night sky and think like, oh, this is fantastic. I want to keep it in LA. And, I, and there is a really strong urge also to return to normality, which I can imagine as soon as, as it's more safe to travel or as long, as soon as this lockdown is done, people will resume or try to resume with their previous life to, to whatever that extent is possible in that moment. And gradually then more and more possible. Um, maybe stay on the short-term consequence. For now. I, I don't know how the ability to see what reduced traffic and especially combustion traffic does in terms of benefits. I, I'm not sure if this is sufficient to change the general attitude in the population. It definitely gives a nice watermark for policymakers and, and researchers. Um there's also going to be a lot of, I mean, crazily enough, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have less health problems in terms of breathing um, from this reduction, right? If you think about like how much detrimental effect uh, pollution, air pollution has on people's ability to 
to breathe and how many people are dying from that or impaired from that, it should have really significant upsides for them. Um, yeah, absolutely. On the other hand, the profound economic impact is also having its its whole range of secondary adverse effects too. Yeah. Right? Like apparently within just the first couple of weeks of lockdown, there've been reports of huge increases of everything from domestic violence worldwide. Yes. Um, everybody knows historically that economic loss causes, well, suicide. Mm. I mean, people, you know, there's, off, there's, there's that big question everybody always says, hey, would you rather have your health or your job? Well, truthfully, we know historically people will often say they'd rather have their job. People yeah, literally definitely. die because they lose their jobs. So yeah. it's an interesting question, this balancing act of how best to go about this. Um, yeah, it's, and it's very, I, I feel not comfortable making any predictions on of if it's going to turn out on the plus side or on the negative side. I, I think that's something to be seen much in the future. Um, it's definitely yeah, true. Sorry, Nick. Sorry, Martin. I was going to say, I think yeah, another unintended negative outcome is is the speeds that we're seeing as well so some pretty extreme uh, high speeds people taking advantage of the quieter traffic conditions in the wrong ways um when in fact i think there was a strong case for reducing speed limits to reduce the pressure on the health services so that they can cope with the uh the pandemic rather than have to worry about traffic collisions so it uh, 70 limit should be a 60 and, and 30s should be 20s. You know, this this kind of, because we know that speed is associated with number and severity of crashes. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of rational case to say, well, we should take pressure off the medical services by reducing speed limits and uh, uh, um, allow them to concentrate on the, the task at hand. Yeah. Right. Agreed. I mean, I think that's probably the big reason why we're told here in the SF Bay area also not to drive anywhere. I think, you know, and the question was immediately, well, can we just go for a joy ride, kind of get out the house, go for a nice loop to the hills and back again? And the answer is no. And I think the simple reason is just what you said, just want to lower the risk profile for needing emergency services if anything goes wrong. Right. Um, totally agreed. But, but, but okay. So let's, let's look then at the, so I, I've been saying for a little while now that I think I mean, it's really important, I think, psychologically to find all the silver linings we can, whether it's for personal, professional or any such use. Um, I think this could be like the best possible time then for AV uh, development and crucially testing, not to mention even deployment. I mean, we've got 75 miles of streets in Oakland. It's the city just across the bay here from San Francisco that have been totally shut down to car traffic. They wanted to open it up to pedestrians and to bicyclists, the idea to help make it easier to, well, practice social distancing. Um, that's awesome. But I'm thinking, why not take maybe five or 10 of those miles and set it aside for autonomous vehicle testing? Hmm. Isn't this be- like the perfect time? Maybe, but like I think the, the the problem is that the crisis emerged so sudden and so out of the blue for most um, that... Um, that you needed to have the testing already in progress, right? You would have had to have the cars, which you're going to test with there already, the permits, because, I mean, everything ground to a halt. You couldn't, like, approach the city hall, which was dealing with completely different problems, and now that you wanted to get a new testing permit. So I'm not sure. This would have probably been nice if or feasible if you already had this planned and now the crisis hits and you still have your workers in place and your testing vehicles in place, and then you can do this. But... um, but un- unless this is the case, then it would be very difficult to move to to get everything in the right position. 
I mean, isn't this just logistics details? I mean, that's true if we're, you know, if it's just an ordinary day, but this is sort of extraordinary times, right? Like we just found out that here locally in our hometown, or I should say our home county, they've even said, hey, don't worry. If your license is expiring, don't worry about it. It's been extended. I mean, these are all just, you know, regulations imposed and acted upon by ordinary humans. I think people can make quick decisions if they need to, right? And so right right now, uh, you know, we look at crews, they're, they're already testing in the streets of San Francisco generally. Isn't it just sort of like a, hey, let's let's let them go a little further kind of a thing? I think that's true. However, the conceit here is that um, AVs still fundamentally depend on people. So there will be people back at the office, back at the shop that are responsible for making sure, you know, the LiDAR systems are aligned and working correctly, that the software has been installed correctly. All of these tasks that need to be done by a, a team of software engineers, hardware engineers. Um, so those people still need uh, to uh, help uh, enable the vehicle to operate, but they also need to be uh, observing social distancing and so on. So um, I think that's the that's probably the reality here is that the, it's the the person factor that is limiting the ability to, uh, of the vehicles to be deployed. Yeah, agreed. But I mean, surely there's got to be some balancing point, right? So here's where I'm coming at this from. I mean, right now, if if I had to take an Uber or a Lyft, um, I mean, there's always, there's a higher risk now to get in a car driven by another person, both for me as well as for the driver. Um, but, but so, so I'm just thinking out loud when I say that if there's a way to start testing driverless vehicles, like actually without a backup driver, even, which in California you can do if you have the, the right permits. Um, I think maybe it just the, seems like now the optimal time. Maybe the even better opportunity is is freight. You know, the, this medical supplies, testing kits, grocery deliveries, and so on. Um, you know, those vehicles that have no space for a, a human occupant. The neuro got its uh, right, and we're seeing uh, those. Yeah, and we're seeing those pop up a lot now, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's an ideal time. But don't you think that uh, from a from the AV space, maybe AV technology is exactly just maybe, I don't know, depending on the company, but they're just slightly too late to actually fully use it. I mean, a year down the road, a year and a half down the road, it would be optimal. Everybody would have had everything in place. You could have practically much better dealt with the situation. But as we are right now, I have the feeling that like we're still too much in the testing phase that you can really, really benefit from the crisis immediately. Too few level four cars or like level four, let's say, transport companies, logistics companies, which can really make this work. Maybe, maybe a company, maybe companies which have really invested in a warehousing logistics, you know? things which are off the street, I can easily imagine that this is very beneficial. Like for Amazon, which has like really put the robots in place to do a lot of warehousing, which would otherwise not be possible due to social distancing, I, I can imagine that this is really helpful. Um, yeah, but, and well, I mean, but several of the companies have shown that they are starting to ramp up delivery uh, tests, right? So even I, I just saw a report uh, that Pony.ai it's a Toyota-backed company, right? So they've just started doing delivery tests to residents of Irvine, California, which is down in Orange County, Southern California. Uh, if you 
don't know Irvine, um, it's essentially a planned community. The roads are gigantic. The streets are basically freeway-sized boulevards at freeway speeds. It's, uh, I mean, sure, there are some slower streets here and there, but the point is, is it's a really optimal place to start doing this sort of testing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right, right. And I think there are going to be two really interesting... Um, areas of design that might be influenced by by our current experiences so i think um thinking about sharing shared mobility often automated vehicles are, are thought of as as being ideal for for shared mobility will we start to see designs of vehicle that allow for a little more privacy within a shared platform it's not going to be like a, a traditional car there might be a greater separation between individual vehicle occupants to, to give um, some some greater sense of privacy and hygiene um, between occupants of the vehicle. Uh, will we see different materials used that can be more easily cleaned, more easily sanitized, and that have um, inherent kind of antimicrobial uh, properties in and of themselves? Um, and then on the infrastructure side, I think the, the lockdown makes gives us the opportunity to look at our, our cities, our environment in a very different way, and you see the amount of space that's been given over to road transport. You know, the, the typical traffic lane in, in, the, in the US, 12 feet wide for vehicles that are six feet, maybe six and a half feet wide. And that's all about margin of error. And if automated vehicles are there that, that have a much lower margin of error in, in the way they can navigate lanes, maybe we can allocate more space to other modes. And, and you're already seeing um, kind of temporary versions of that in some cities where where space is being given over to walking and cycling to allow people to, to, to social distance more effectively. So, yeah, there could be some really interesting design effects in both the, the vehicle and infrastructure space as a result of uh, this, uh, this pandemic. Yeah, I agree. What about the alternative, though? What about um, sort of single occupant sized vehicles? I mean, you're from the UK. Does the, does the name Peel P50 ring a bell? You're right. The smallest car ever, right? I do believe a certain Mr. Clarkson uh, did a rather amusing test of a PLP 50. Um, because I saw a cartoon the other day, which just made me think of this. I mean, theoretically, you could have a bunch of single occupant sort of electric AVs shuttling people about in these little, well, pods. That could be an alternative as well. But- yeah. And, 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 but, but you, know, you, you can already cycle and use e-bikes, which perform a similar function. And I know, I know that you know, the, the city authorities are terrified of the, uh, that kind of model becoming popular, the, the individual pods. You know, you, you've got a nice double-decker bus with 80, 100 uh, occupants on it, and you spread those out into 100 pods. That's a, a very different, a very troubling traffic scenario. So it's about getting the balance right. Right. Agreed. But how do you guys think this is going to go? I mean, it's not going to be like a light switch. It's not going to be like suddenly, oh, hey, the 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 the, the pandemic de- the pandemic is over. Everybody just go hop into your subways, buses and metros. That's not just going to happen. Even if people are allowed to, people are going to be scared. Right. I mean, we're, even if they even if these are opened up, they're going to be at half capacity like restaurants have been discussed. If you look at if you look in Asia nowadays, 
and you see that the like practically if you look at Asia before before this pandemic and you take into consideration that a lot of the 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 measures they were taking before like wearing face masks you know not touching anything having gloves in in public transportation that was probably due to the to the other outbreaks that we didn't here have in the the west you know SARS outbreak and uh bird flu and uh i i have the feeling that practically those effects lasted much longer in the people's psyche and also practically in the way they were dealing with um with modes of transportation and maybe what what uh, Nick is hinting at like they there wasn't the possibility to practically introduce more individual transport, but really the the desire to have a somewhat more sanitized version of public transport, which like allows you to stay safe. And uh, it's, I fully agree there that like if you can provide such a service, if you can provide uh, AVs which are driverless both at the same time and also allow for to change users in a way that there is a lower risk of practically infection from the previous user, then that, that definitely is probably a selling argument is the question, how easily can this be made and, and to what extent the consumers will still, still want that uh, a little bit down the road. It also depends a lot on how long this crisis is going to last, which is very, very difficult to, to assess from here on onwards. Also, um, there's a big trust issue, I would imagine. I mean, it's going to require a lot of consumer trust yeah. these, that, that what you're proposing, for instance, is indeed sufficiently safe. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if you think about like an, a, a car and uh, cleaning a car, and if you have a high enough turnover from a shared vehicle, then you you can definitely clean them in high high intervals and like really can you know showcase how quickly you clean them. Um, and how many surfaces you clean and maybe provide some cleaning equipment for the new person who is using it. But um, that's hard to assess right now if this is going to really become the new standard. Um, I guess for the time being, it, it will be. Car sharing platforms, for example, will probably provide some sort of, um, you know, cleaning equipment. Yeah, the, the car sharing um, organizations I've spoken to, they they are all sanitizing their vehicles between each uh, user at the moment just to, to provide that um, reassurance to their yep. user base that, uh, that the vehicles are, are, are sanitized. But, um, you know, whether that is sustainable in the longer term, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, just to get at least two data points on this right now, would either of you get into a car sharing vehicle now? If you were allowed to, I mean. Mm, definitely. Would Really? Probably wipe it down before. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I don't I would know. Be reluctant. I think. I mean, you know, the, the the virus can live on hard surfaces for something like nine days. I think. So, yeah, I, I would be nervous about it. I think. And I will definitively say I would definitely not do it. Yeah, but if I mean, the, 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 I think then we're talking about like how much alternative you have towards this drive. I'm I'm assuming that it's like a drive which you really have to do, and that your alternative is maybe a mode which you're even more exposed. So the the, the least bad so, option, basically. <laughs> exactly. So I, if I, if I'm thinking like, hmm, would I rather want to take a short haul flight or like drive in a car which is shared but I can wipe down? I think I might go for the for the later option. If it is about a train ride or a shared shared vehicle, I might still go for the shared vehicle. I mean, not to get overly pedantic about the medical 
part of all this, but I mean, it's funny. We're only discussing the issue of touching contaminated surfaces, but I guess in my mind, I'm rather more concerned about just being in a closed cabin, sharing the same air as another driver, another human generally. Right. I mean, that, that to me seems to be a rather larger risk factor. I mean, I guess you can still have all the windows open. Uh, there is that, but not everywhere has, dare I say, <laughs> California weather. Uh, so maybe opening the windows is not the best option either. And no. the other factor in this is, is something we've all been getting used to is uh, more online meetings. So is could the purpose of your journey be completed using uh, an online platform? And I, I think a lot more people having had to experience it will now feel much more comfortable and, and recognize that they can deliver a lot of their work tasks if they're lucky enough to be able to do so. I mean, we've got to recognize that there's a an equity aspect to this conversation. But yeah, for many people, that one, maybe two hour commute is uh, is time that they would much rather claim back and, and use um, online tools to, to deliver their, uh, their their work tasks. So that, that might be another dimension that uh, comes to comes into play. That's true. And speaking of the equity side of all this, even if we this does end up sort of fast tracking a deployment of true driverless ride sharing once, as you suggested, Nick, uh, the delivery seems to work pretty well. Um, yeah, there's that huge equity issue. Then what happens to all the drivers, whether it's ride sharing or taxis or otherwise? I mean, e- even the alternative future I've suggested where municipalities tend to buy up a lot of autonomous say pod car things from various companies, I've suggested that they not replace, but rather mm, supplement the existing modes of public transit. Um, because again, you have this really big, scary question, even in a supplemental situation, let alone a full replacement scenario, what happens to all the operators, all the human operators of existing modes of transit? Um, that's a tremendously huge uh, problem to figure out. It is, it is. But a lot of these industries have um, driver shortages at present. So they, they are in need of, of drivers. Um, and, it, and in the short term, automation will be will be taking up some of that slack. That's a good point. I think that gives us a, a period of transition. And then I think there might well be a role for uh, teleoperator drivers. Um, and, and maybe some of the existing drivers today move into that teleoperation role. Hey, that's a really good point. Can we touch on that for a moment? Uh, I know it's a bit off point, but so I think you all heard the sad news about uh, Starsky Robotics, right? Yep. Mm. So I actually knew, knew, I know the founder, Stefan, rather well. We used to work in a co-sharing office spot together a few years ago, quite a few years ago, uh, during one of my first startups. Um, You know, he wrote a fantastic piece on Medium, which if people haven't read yet, I highly recommend it. And I recently became acquainted with, with a founder of another teleoperation company called Kibus, with whom I'll be doing a podcast episode next week, actually. Um, because, yeah, you're right. I think now more than ever, that seems to be a really, really uh, fantastic thing with all due respect to what happened to Starsky and, and Stefan personally. Um, I wonder then, yeah, might, might this be that optimal interim solution that we, that we kind of need to fast track all this testing and deployment? I've heard it described as as the dark secret of automation. I think a lot of organizations developing AVs realize that they need to have some form of of teleoperation as as part of their stack um, for the situations that the the automation can't handle. And, and, you know, given where we are with the technology, there will be many of those um, for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, that that role of of teleoperation might be really important. And uh, there's a, a UK company I'm working with called Imperium Drive that are developing 
you know, a teleoperated driving system uh, for, for, for precisely this reason, that recognition that the AV companies will need that kind of solution. And God knows there's there's enough complexity in delivering it, of course, you know, the, the cybersecurity issues, the cellular network issues, but um, it is going to be a, a necessary part, I think. Yeah, I fully agree. I, I was a bit surprised of Starsky. I also thought that it was a very likely step in between the, uh, right now human operated and then full automation to be able to to commit the vehicle remotely. And there's a lot of situation where you could easily imagine that you would want this. Like a situation which you can pre-program for full automation to work. I don't know, like just for instance, like a strike somewhere or something like that, you know, and the, the road is blocked and you need to move the vehicle back and you want to safely do it and the software can handle it. And then like some human operator practically reprogramming it and like setting it back. I I think this will be necessary for the foreseeable future. And also as an operator, I mean, depending on what the costs are per vehicle, I can also easily imagine that it's something you would want to have just as a safety feature. You know, which would be practically by your insurer right. assessed as something of additional safety, which practically then still meant to to save some money. And we should also recognize as well that it it plays a role in non-automated uh, transport services as well. So repositioning a shared car by teleoperation solves a lot of the the, the resistance that users might have to uh, shared car services, you know, that you can take the car home. And you don't have to take it to a, a special parking space. You can uh, allow it to, to reposition used by uh, by a teleoperator. No, it was surprising that practically this happened to Skarsky. And I, like, I wonder if this is maybe a uh, also in compare uh, like in combination with the crisis, we we might see a lot of like things which we were thinking of as promising enterprises going now out out of funding and therefore exiting the market, which we thought previously to be, you know, survivable, viable. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 very likely that from an economic perspective, also companies exit the markets which were just unluckily positioned in terms of equity or capital, um, who might have a good idea or not just not able to refinance their current operation and then not able to practically keep this business model going. I'm, I'm not sure if then there will be another company jumping in and practically taking up the slack from where this was and this is probably a viable option then to like to do so but um i I don't think they were going to be the only ones i don't know how your what your perspective is on that when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What, you mean the only teleoperation companies? No, in the AV space, there's a lot of companies who are practically working on tight budgets, which having the need for refinancing and that at like a time like this where there's so much uncertainty in the market, it puts a lot of pressure on those companies. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, you just gave me an idea. I mean, in light of our webinar coming up next month on the impact of autonomous mobility and construction space, especially now during COVID, but for the years beyond as well. I mean, you know, I think one thing which is often overlooked is that 
semi-autonomous vehicles have existed in construction and especially agriculture for quite some time now. I mean, admittedly, mm. it's a little bit less challenging to navigate a cornfield, I suppose, than <laughs> streets of downtown uh, London, say. But um, I wonder then, just again, with an eye towards helping maximize distance between workers, whether we'll see suddenly a huge proliferation in on-site construction equipment utilizing or sudden, you know, new investment in at least semi-autonomous tech for construction sites. That would be something really neat kind of to look into and I would somewhat anticipate. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that Mark. And I, I can see in the next year, 18 months that there will be a focus on a shorter term, more pragmatic use cases that are closer to market. And so being able to use automation in a more restricted environment might become um, much more attractive. I saw earlier the idea of the podcast was really like, I, we also see like, maybe that's the difference between Europe and uh, the States that here with smaller streets, more, more urban density, there, there is this drive towards going towards smaller cars. And, and if you were able to put the same equipment into a pod car, which allows you to go autonomously or self-driving, then I can also easily see that this would meet less resistance than larger sized cars. So this is an interesting topic. Um, I, I actually just did an episode about this a couple of days ago. You know, I, I saw some funny articles popping up about how everyone's criticizing all the concepts, autonomous pod cars. And when I say pod cars, by the way, I'm differentiating them from say, what shall I say? Uh, ordinary looking cars. These are basically just boxes on wheels or, as these articles have pointed out rather affectionately, uh, they just look like giant loaves of bread or toaster ovens or whatever. And, but, but, you know, and what's funny is, and, and so then the question became, well, but how are, how are companies like say BMW who've now gone on the record for addressing this very big concern about design, how are companies going to do this? You can't really sell a thing, which looks like a bread box on wheels. Uh, no one's going to want it. And, but I think this is kind of mixing sort of, totally different points, which is these pod car things aren't meant to be used for private consumption at all. I mean, they're meant to be, again, an alternative to city transit options, right? So they're meant to be people movers, which is by definition, either going to be, well, a tube with wings or a box on wheels. And whether those wheels go on steel tracks or on on a road surface, it doesn't make any difference. So of course, they're all going to look the same. It's sort of like why all supercars and hypercars kind of look the same if you squint your eyes because they need to have all the necessary aerodynamic body work to well stay on the ground right so i i think that the design issue and, and the form factor of these things is gonna it's gonna it's not gonna matter when you're talking about being a people mover thing while those for private consumption will still look like a more traditional sort of car thing albeit one with much greater space inside I think it comes down to marketing as well, right, Mark? So, uh, you know, the, the SUV is is the current most popular vehicle type because it's been marketed very effectively. I think <laughs> if, if podcasts or you know loaves of bread <laughs> were seen as as cool and, and marketed yeah. as such, they would be similarly popular. Yeah, and well, and it's actually kind of a question that, but but I mean, it goes to the point of efficiency again, though, right? I mean, because the most efficient shape for a given volume is going to be a box, right? I mean, one of the questions here in the states has always been, oh, why you know why are hatchbacks so popular, especially in Europe? Never mind the fact that our so-called 
what are they called? Crossover utility vehicles are basically slightly raised hatchbacks. Let's face it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're popular because they're just a lot more volumetrically efficient than a typical three box sedan form factor. So I don't think there's any magical reason why people fell in love with hatchbacks and indeed they're slightly larger overweight cousins, the CUVs and SUVs. It's just that they're more practically efficient for what you're buying. Definitely. Yeah, and honestly, like, we don't see that much resistance to it. And also the smart car, first people laughed at it, but it was quite a success. So I, I think there's definitely a market for it, and especially if you then combine it with all the benefits you have from it. And I don't even mean from the society point of view, but just from the personal point of view that you can park one for maybe a quarter of the cost of a normal car. And they're extremely easy to handle. There are a lot less cars, so you don't have to worry that you're if you can still touch it from your car, it means that you're too close. Otherwise, you're practically good. You know, they're, they're probably the most easiest bread, bread loaf to drive around. Um, oh, wait, you're, so just to be clear, you're talking specifically about the Mercedes smart, like the smart car, like the smart yes, brand? Yes, 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 yes. So I thought the only thing those were good for was like tipping over. They were also great for that. Yes. Is it multi-use? <laughs> I heard actually what you live in Amsterdam. I, I thought that like, I've actually heard stories of people would actually pick them up and toss them in the canal. Yeah, I sometimes see some floating by, but I mean, that's also. Did they float? Yeah, they <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Wonderfully. <laughs> yeah. In San Francisco for a while, people started tipping them over on the hills. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm not sure if, I don't know what your two's perspective is on, if this crisis is is really going to immediately change consumer behavior into like the podcast direction or into yeah any certain type of AV use which we can't currently anticipate, and we, we, what the, the thing we are sure of is that public transport is going to go down, and that shared shared public transport or shared rides are going to have a difficulty rebounding from it. Maybe then, like for example, the cab industry are going to maybe have a slightly less easy way of rebounding than like Uber and Lyft because they have a not so easy way of communicating their safety? Could you imagine that? Well, I mean, taxis generally are already hurting badly because Uber and Lyft. I mean, do you know anybody who actually takes a taxi if there's an Uber or Lyft or alternative? Uh... Actually, with all due respect to London, I do prefer the the black cabbies in uh, the, the London cab cars in London. I love those. They are painfully expensive though. Um, but apart from that, they are great. And, uh, and you get uh, free um, entertainment as well, right? Amazing conversation. Yes. Uh, I, I, never mind the fact that to my American ear, I sometimes have a very difficult time interpreting the accent, <laughs> but uh, yes, I, I do love it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think, um, yeah, it's a good point. Um, but, but but the thing is, though, it really kind of compounds the problem, which I think for folks who don't live in cities like, say, L.A., which, okay, maybe it's somewhat – I never thought about this, but maybe it is kind of almost unique in this regard. The truth is, I mean, there's a reason why L.A. became kind of car culture crazy obsessed, right? It's because even if you have the alternative to 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 take a taxi or a shared car anywhere, the truth is – well, people would rather just sit in their big cushy SUVs, even if they are stuck in traffic. I have a really dear friend of mine, actually, who, uh, by the way, he does listen to this podcast, so he knows I'm talking about him now. Um, <laughs> he he has like a one-hour commute in his SUV from down near LAX airport to, I think, up in the valley, which is, I think, what, an hour, hour and a half drive during traffic. And of course, he has a big Range Rover, because why not? And if given the choice to take an alternative mode, 
certainly one which is shared, the answer is absolutely not. Give me my big cushy personal car and that's what I want to do. So my point is, is that if anything, this, this fear from COVID, even to the extent that maybe some, some uh, municipalities, you know, people of certain cities might have started getting the idea that, Hey, this shared future is the way to go. Like I actually podcasted about this a while ago when I think a year ago, I, for the first time in my life, I did not rent a car in LA. I just Ubered everywhere. And I thought, wow, this is actually really great. Totally counterintuitively. Uh, to the point I made a moment ago, but now suddenly that's just been maybe, you know, that, that idea is just gone. You know, people are going to say, Nope, not a chance. That choice to, to use a Range Rover and and that, that seems like the optimal um, decision to make. Absolutely. I'm trying to give upper and lower bound scenarios here just to kind of exaggerate the point. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, But you don't have, yeah. That comes from decades of, design and policy decisions that have resulted in a, a transport network that has produced that outcome. And, of, and you know, we, we've got a, a, a jolt to the system now. Um, we can't expect those decades of decisions to be rolled back immediately, but hopefully it's opened some eyes to a different way things could be done. Um, and, and some of those policy and design decisions might start to change in ways that are uh, you know, more efficient and, and more um, compatible with um, the climate situation that we have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to the point of how we kicked off this podcast uh, about environmental issues, uh, I really do firmly kind of, at least I'm trying to believe, or at least I'm really strongly hoping, I think we all are, that yeah, this will at least open people's eyes to, you know, we we, we can make a change if we need to. And we knew that climate change was going to c- cause two or three billion people to get displaced, not in say 50 to a hundred years, but say in five years, we'd find a way to do something about it. And I've often suggested that to the point of moving over, you know, fast tracking the transition to electric vehicles, for instance, I don't even get why this has to be a political thing necessarily. Don't people just like to be able to breathe fresh air and not have their throats burning from pollution, for instance, or don't they like to see the beautiful scenery or I don't know what. So, so hopefully this will at least fast track things in that direction. And I think thankfully, since the development of EVs and AVs is so directly interlinked, one should lead to the other pretty neatly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing, I I don't know if you guys have seen it, um, certainly in the UK, many more families out on their bikes together, you know, and that's, that's, because the roads are quieter and, and they feel more safe doing it. And, and I think, you know, families will want that experience again. And if automated vehicles provide them with that sense of safety, with that, um, you know, the, uh, more predictable behavior, low emission powertrain, it's more compatible with uh, other active modes of transport. Maybe, you know, it, it's another factor pushing us towards that uh, automated future. Yeah. Talk about silver linings. We've noticed the same thing here too. My wife and I live just, outside of San Francisco, uh, in, in a pretty, it's pretty rural. I mean, just steps from our door, we can just go hiking in the Hills. It's, it's quite convenient, but what's weird about this area is that you would expect to see a lot of sort of social interaction amongst neighbors, people walking around, sitting in each other's yards, talking music, whatever. It's frankly, usually completely desolate until now. (laughs) Now we walk around and there's people everywhere, everyone's smiling and waving at each other. And, and it's just a much more social vibe than we have ever seen, uh, ever actually. So I think that's a great silver lining. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it is actually bringing people closer together, which is a really beautiful thing when you think about it. 
Yeah, that, and that um, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about we shouldn't be social distancing. We we should talk about physical distancing. Physical distancing, in, exactly. But it, but it's interesting that the car is both socially and physically distancing for its occupants from the rest of the community. So I, that you know that occurred to me um, over the last few days that um, you know maybe uh, you know, that will help us to reimagine how transport could be different when we realize the importance of uh, not being socially distanced, but being physically distanced. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Well, guys, with respect to everyone's time, uh, including listeners, um, you know, it is your uh, Friday evening, which means the weekend is upon you. So why don't we call that a wrap? Um, It's been really great doing this with you both again, as always. So thank you so much for your time and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Mark. You too. Take take care. Stay safe. Yeah, thanks, both. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right, well, that is a wrap for today. So, Nick, Martin, thanks again so much for joining me. To everybody else, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Be well. Stay home. I'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye.